Come with me and you'll be in a world of cinematic adventures. Hello, welcome back to Cinematic Adventures. I'm still Jackie. Today, we're back with Doug Sean. Not Sean, but Doug Sean. Because it's just Doug. No, it's not just Doug. It's just Because it's never just Doug. Because I'm sitting here thinking I'm messaging Doug, and then Sean starts yelling at me, what are you doing to my friend? So apparently it's Doug Sean. Well, Sean was on my show while you were messaging me about the film. So that's what's going to happen. It's there's going to be bleed over, like when you mic a drum set, Jackie. It's what's called. It's called mic bleed. Yeah. And when you talk to either me or Sean, you get mic bleed. Like I said, Doug Sean. Anywho, tell us about the movie you had me watch, which you swore was going to be epic. It was great. Favorite movie of all time. I okay, first of all, I didn't say epic. I didn't say epic. It's one of my favorite movies, though, and it's called Mikey and Nikki, starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes, directed by, yes, and directed by someone I call a limited edition human, and her name is Elaine May, and I'm wearing a Nichols and May t-shirt just for this episode. I was going to say, because anyone can see it? No. I mean, I could Insta this t-shirt, but nobody deserves all that beauty all in their face at once. Starting to see why you like this movie. Have you seen my cheekbones? Behold. No, I have not. Oh. Well, they're they're glamorous they and angular. And in a certain light, they look like anime. So are you just stalling so that we don't that I don't like tear apart the movie? Or Okay, so the the the, the first of all, the idea that you're gonna tear apart this movie is ridiculous. That's first of all. Secondly, secondly. If you sincerely hate this movie, I feel like taking my name off this episode and just doing the show as Franco DeSalvo. What? Okay, first of all, you can't take your name off the show. I'm the one who does it. Second, I never said I hated Hello, Jackie. the movie. Yes. I just said I'm going to. This is Franco DeSalvo. I love this movie. Don't make fun. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I just love this movie so much, and it is hurtful that you're, you feel like you okay, can tear the, it apart. Okay, we'll start with the positive. Which means you go first. What do you love about this movie? Okay. What I love about this movie? Okay. Everything. First of all, John Cassavetes. First You're of all, this is with the John Cassavetes, aren't you? Of, uh, well, it's like I, your no, wife. I absolutely. And I'm a fan. Sean, no, I'm and a- then John Cassavetes. Or maybe even Peter Falk, then Jack, John Cassavetes. Yeah, I love Peter Falk. But no, it would be my wife, then Sean, then Elaine May. Who's Elaine May? Oh, who, who directed the film? Who Where directed does Anna the Armas yeah. fall in this line? Oh, like really next to Elaine May? Really very small. Very small. Mal- like minuscule. So she's further down the line. Yeah. Elaine May. Further down the line. Yeah, no, I mean like she's like seven blocks seven away. Blocks. Elaine May is limited edition people. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. So do you know who I Elaine May is? <gasps> Ask you should. Yeah, I don't. El- Elaine May. Okay, okay. She was um, in the 60s. She was part of the the comedy team Nichols and May. And of course, Mike Nichols went on to become a famous director of several movies. I'm not sure if you talked about any of them on the show, like Silkwood, The Graduate, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I talked about that one like a long time ago. Yeah, that was Mike Nichols' (gasps) first movie. That was his first movie. That was him out of the gate. That was his first movie he ever directed. That was a really good movie. Now, that, that was a really good movie. 
Let's not okay. compare the two. Let's, that's we'll just compare wrong. The two. Yeah, don't don't saying, compare them. I personally no. think that's a damn good movie. Just I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. It had uh, oh damn straight. It's a no. It's a masterpiece. Damn it's straight. A girl in like, there who just like, passed away. I try not to cross the streams when it comes to Nichols in May because I feel like so many, especially podcasts now, because like I've heard. I don't know if you know. I forget his last name. Griffin something rather. He played Arthur on the last mm-hmm. Tick TV show. The last incarnation of the Tick. He played Arthur. No, on Amazon. Yeah, he played Arthur. Oh, well, it's wonderful. But yeah, and he was wonderful as Arthur. But they're talking about Elaine May all month and getting it and getting it damn wrong. And they're not up to Mikey and Nikki yet. They got two weeks. So we're beating them to the punch and you're already disappointing the world, the world with your opinion. <laughs> and by the world, the world, I guess you mean you. I am the world. But yeah, I – okay, what I love about this movie. Aside from the director. Okay. Right. Aside from the director, you have two of the rawest performances two actors give, period. Two of the rawest performances. I don't know that I could recall a pair of raw performances. I, Who's afraid maybe, of the Okay. All right. I mean. All right. I see what, I see what you did there. <laughs> it's just, you brought it up, but yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not wrong. Yeah. No, no, you're no. Actually, you're not. No, um, those are incredible performances. Um, the thing is, I don't want to. I don't want to make the mistake of talking about Nichols at all. But we're not talking about the this, directing on, now. We're it, just talking is, about the acting, straight acting. Right. You're talk, yeah. Um, no, you're you're absolutely right. Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burr. Yeah. I mean, it, they're pretty incredible performances. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I it, the thing is, is I I can argue that because I know how it was made because I'm reading his biography now. So, like, I know that a lot of – well, I don't know how much to some extent, if I'm – be perfectly honest, but I know some of that actually isn't her. Like, her voice performance has been overdubbed. Dude, Taylor? Some of it's – yeah, and some of it is an, another actress's voice ADR'd what? in. Yeah, the two-story. But let's – that's for another episode, perhaps. But I guess I could compare it to – have you ever seen the movie Scarecrow with Al Pacino and uh, my favorite actor of all time, Gene Hackman? I don't think I have. No. It's a great character piece, but I think one of them's yeah, one's coming off The Godfather, the other one's coming off The French Connection, and they're doing this yeah. movie about two mentally like off people, and that the end, it's like a slow burn, like this one, where it's like it erupts, and I can maybe compare it to that, but to some extent, but still, these are better performances. Okay, so that's first of all. Secondly, um. Let's talk about Cassavetti's performance for a moment. Cassavetti's didn't even didn't just make himself look disgusting. He's a handsome dude. I mean, he was a handsome dude. He's, I mean, he's quite dead, but like he's he was a very handsome man, okay. right? Sure, I'll go with it. But he made himself look so hideous in this movie. And I'm going to quote Patton Oswalt. Uh, he he did like a little commentary about it on the Criterion Channel, or as we call it here on Cinematic Adventures, Douglas Plus. <laughs> But he did a little commentary on it where – and he was spot on. You look at that first shot of Cassavetti's in that hotel room when he's panicking and his blood looks poisoned. Yeah, he looks like shit. I, I will give you that. He absolutely looks like shit throughout the entire movie. And then you – You absolutely believe that he's this like low-level, despicable, low-life human yeah. being. You believe it all the way through it, all the way through the film. You believe he's he's the guy who's like you're his friend because he was so charming and fun, maybe at the bar, but he might take your wallet. 
and you kind of forgive him because he's like he promises to pay you back yeah, over and over yeah. and over again. Do you? Do do you? Though? I mean, you know, yeah, no, you might not. No. I don't know. Mm. Peter Falk gives his. I've seen a lot of Peter Falk movies, so I'm gonna be careful. I would, yeah, this might be his best performance. I'm Very reluctant really. to say that because he's turned in so many great ones. Yeah, but no, this I is what, what are you kidding? That performance is incredible. Uh, to me, he is Columbo. Well, it's more likable. That's not really fair. That's right. That's that's a who he is to many people. Me, I see him as Peter Falk, the angel in Wings of Desire, where he plays himself, but he's an angel. Um, he to me, he's but, either um, Columbo or he's Grandpa from uh, from Princess Bride, or as um, uh, uh, the CIA agent in The In Laws. Have you ever seen that? I don't think so. I think you would love that movie. I actually think you would love that movie. Here's the thing. Most of Peter Falk's movies are from the decades of where I don't really watch movies. This movie is from the decade where I don't really watch movies. Like, of all the decades of movies that I watch, I don't really like the 60s and 70s for movies. And these are all in that pocket. Why? I told you this years years ago. But like a long time ago. I never really liked the 60s and 70s when it comes to movies. I just, I just don't like that. That's okay. like your home, and to me, that's like a foreign place. <laughs> just don't. To me, that's the golden age the of golden cinema. Age the seventies are the golden like the age 30s. of cinema. The thirties yes. and forties. That's the golden age of cinema. I know. Is it the thirties? Uh, I would. Say, yeah, there's some yes, great stuff in that. There, there's a great, yeah, great wheelhouse. Great wheelhouse in those in that in those decades. A lot of you know the Buster Keaton stuff, the Chaplin stuff. The Marx Brothers stuff, all that stuff's amazing. Douglas Fairbanks stuff, all that stuff's great. The the pre-code stuff, all wonderful, wonderful stuff. The seven, 70s storytelling, and I I know this is going to be really hard for some of lis- some listeners, some who might have enjoyed the Snyder cut of the uh, last superhero piece of crap that came up. But movies back then had beginnings, middles, and endings, and. They told their story in less than two hours, and it was a complete tale. I know. It's, it's, oh, wow. I know. I know. Wow. I know. I know. It sounds like I'm lying, oh but it's God. true. It's true. They had editors that did their jobs. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it was like, what a time you know to be who alive. Else? I was thinking, and then. I thought of somebody else who did a better performance. Faye Dunaway, Mommy Dearest. Okay, so I, I don't want to. Yeah, see, that, that would disparage an entire sect if I said it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that's a great performance. It's a wonderful performance. It, yeah, I don't. Yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna say that's an interesting point, Jackie. <laughs> that's all. That's. I love it because you start out. Yeah. You're like, I'm going hard on Snyder people, and then I mention like what would be considered like a literal person for like like if you were to think of of movies as like writing, it's like. This is like the high art. And I'm like, yeah, Faye Dunaway, Mommy Dearest. And you're like, ah, I can't stab those people. <laughs> you like refuse to go after her. No, 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 I'm not going. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not. You're such a snob. No, and, and I, I agree. I agree. It's it a is. wonderful film. It's, a, I mean, Mommy Dearest is a great film. I'm talking about two actors. And another, another thing that's conveyed in this film is the complexity of this relationship in which um, you learn their entire history, and you 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 might you might not it might you might not have have grasped this in in one night you learn their entire childhood history and what they've been through together, and it has a complicated it's a complicated relationship, and a lot of it a lot of their bitterness a lot of their um 
what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of their grievances with each other are spoken in different times of the movie and reflect back to other characters in the film. And like, for example, he, okay. So the plot of the film, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we, we're going to spoil it. And this, this actually is a detail that comes in about 10 minutes of the film. Nikki is a low life, a low life. Um, but he's like a, a wild card character. And he has stolen money from his boss. Now, these are this is not a glamorized mob movie like the Scorsese stuff or even the Ford Coppola uh, films. These are the real guys, the real like shitheads that are on the corners, you know, running numbers and that sort of thing. And they are Nikki. Nikki has stolen from his boss and is in a panic because he knows he's going to be killed for it. Because this is probably like not the first fuck up. You know Nikki 10 minutes and you know this isn't his first offense. And Mikey shows up to help him and it's a childhood friend. Mikey is but Peter Falk. What you learn very qu- – right. And really quickly you learn that it's – Mikey has agreed to take Nikki to a certain place at a certain time so the mob can hit him. And you learn that very quickly but it still continues on. Nikki's debating whether or not to leave town, which he absolutely should. But he won't because he's a but, fucking idiot. Um, and they, no, well, they were going to leave town. He was, you know, getting his affairs sort of in order, one quite literally. And what happens is you learn their entire, what they've been through. And it's a really such a complicated relationship because, yeah, like Mikey knows, like it's time and, you know, and he's doing a job. But his feelings for Nikki are the, that of, brotherly love and such a seething resentment and before nikki even fucks up in the movie or or crosses mikey in the movie which he does several times he's there you learn that he was there when his brother was alive when his little brother who died at childhood of um scarlet fever izzy his brother izzy had passed away he was there for that but you learn mikey's resentments you were that you know i always wanted to make my father laugh you always made my father laugh later on in the film Nikki tells Mikey, you repeat yourself a lot. And Mikey, this is the most wicked scene, is when he's with his wife and they have this real distant relationship, real. And he's like, do I repeat myself? And she's like, I never noticed. And that's such a hollowed out feeling you get from that scene, even the way they're placed spatially in the frame. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm telling you what I love about the movie before Jackie goes in like yeah, a wrecking ball. Yeah, go ahead. Ball. That's why I'm saying silent. And, 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 right. And rips it apart. It is one of the most human films I think I've ever seen in the sense that there are a lot of complicated feelings between these two men. Neither of these men are, are likable. Peter Falk comes off likable at first, but he has such competitiveness with Nikki that he behaves like there's one scene specifically where he tries to be as disgusting as Nikki because he was never a ladies man like Nikki. Mm. Despite the fact that he's married. Right. Well, I mean, we're we're observers of a film, not passes of judgment as the audience, right? Like, well, to some extent, but then- I think one of the most radical things about the movie, especially was a 70, I don't remember off the top of my head. I actually felt I didn't need to research this one because I've seen it so many times. But And you here you are, but not knowing. The, yes. Yes, I know. It's a rare moment here on Cinematic Adventures because usually I'm the one who has the facts right there mm-hmm. in his pocket. But but 
what happens is their relationship is so complicated and so wrapped in all these things and these layers that you learn about these two men over the course of the night. And which sort of culminates in that incredible graveyard scene where he's, you know, where Cassavetes looks up and that by this point they're shit faced and uh, Cassavetes looks up and says, if anything happens to me, Ma, it's Mikey's fault. And Mikey loses it. And meanwhile, Ned Beatty, who's the hitman, having very just regular human problems on his way to kill Nikki, like traffic. It's one of the funniest things in the film, but also like one of the strangest, oddest things that I feel directors like Quentin Tarantino have ripped off forever is the sort of like very serious uh, situation and human things applied to an otherwise despicable person. But I absolutely adore the performances, the the structure of the film. I love. Yeah, and I'm not even getting into the making of the film or what it took to for Elaine May to have it made or to stand off with the studio, any of that stuff. The film itself, as is, is just a remarkable thing. It, it's just a remarkable thing to behold. Now, I will turn the floor over to Jackie, where she can pick it apart and rip it to shreds because Thanos I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. I was like, this asshole is going to say something <laughs> about it not being Star Wars or MCU, and you know for a fact that's not why I don't like this. I know. I know. I'm just being a dick. First of all, you know that I'm all about the story, and this is- is a character study, not a not a. It's not a plot driven film. Okay, not to say that I only like. I'm sorry, you don't think it. You don't think it has. You don't think it. No, has it a story? has a story, but like, dude, let me finish. Okay, as I'm messaging okay. I know you you're my right. hate messages, you were like, "But the acting," and I'm like, "You know, I'm all about the story." Okay, the story of this movie right. is there's this despicable human being who's waiting an entire night to get what's coming to him because he did some stupid shit he knew he shouldn't have done. In the meantime, he goes around and fucks with everybody one last time before he dies. And he's surprised that people aren't just opening their arms to let him come back in and be a douchebag to them one last time. That's the story of this movie. Plus, you know, the relationship with his friends. <laughs> yeah, plus you know he kind of has this relationship. But seriously, that is the story of this movie. Yeah, it, it, the entire night, all he yeah. does is go around and fuck with people that he knew in his life, and it just shows what a despicable human being he is from one person's perspective to the next. Oh, that brings me back to the, if I can, the the radical the scene I find so radical is that scene where he shows up at his mistress's house and is just vile and has Mikey in the kitchen in ear and eye shot yeah. of this scene. And he's done the whole time, oh, nobody and else is here. Nobody else is here. No means no, fucker. She needs to learn how to knee him in the nuts. Also, why do women keep looking no, the you door know what's, You know what's asshole? great about that scene? Well, yeah. 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 I, well, because he, I, it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like, there is a moment later. Let me let me go from two scenes because there's two scenes and the second one with her is wonderful because she sums Nikki up to his face afterwards. And I know it's not the sort of um, – it's not the comeuppance we're used to, but what I think is wonderful about it is the camera doesn't leave them. And no one, no one walks away from either of those scenes thinking he's cool. 
And that's what I think is wonderful about it, especially from frame one. I made no, no, but there's so many. There's no, 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 no. There's so many mob movies where, like, you're like Ray Liotta, like how he treats Karen, for example, Uh is sort of glorified in a sense, or so many mob movies where, like, the it's not just the cheating, it's not just that. I mean, you know, uh, it's the it's the behavior. Which is even like the sort of it's just slime ball. Like it's just like the the behavior and the, the sort of re, like almost treating them like receptacle. It's just nasty. Tony Manera in Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. who was a sex symbol after that movie came out, it was thousand times worse. But no, this movie Elaine May held the camera to them and was like. This is what it is. And there's no way anyone, man, female, no way anyone is like, yeah, that's awesome. Like it's absolutely passing judgment without having to have the moment where the girl gets up and goes, no, Nikki. You know what I mean? Or or some contrived thing. She you know said what I mean? no like, like so it's 19 weird, times. But it's. She said no from the right. time he th- and the camera stayed on no, him. From, so not the second scene, but the right. first and the scene. The camera stayed on. She them. kept saying no, and he kept yeah. ignoring it, and then yelling at her, saying that she was being rude because he wanted yeah, he to hook up with her with his friend in the other room. This dude's a dirtbag, right? And he is so he essentially he essentially raped her. Except he he right? essentially like, raped her, but he didn't like it. The way I saw the scene, it didn't look like they actually had sex, but he did force himself on her as far as like kissing and making out because she was saying no to even that. And then he sends in his friend. But the camera did not. Oh, leave congratulations! Them. Right. Then right. he sends he, in his friend to do yeah, the and same he sends thing. The, his friend, right? And the thing is, is that he remember in the earlier in the film, he's like, "I don't treat my wife like you treat." Exactly, your wife. but the, and that's the problem is that and he feels he looks, competitive with Nikki, and he ends he, up right. like he's married, so he shouldn't even be. First of all, why is he even in there with him? He could have like gone for a walk or something if he knew that that was going on. Second. Cause like if you like if you were in that situation, would you really stay in the kitchen, or would you be like, yeah, I'm gonna go for a walk? Come on. How many layers to their relationship get revealed, even then, just in that one scene? Like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I'm sure when Nikki's not around, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he was great. I mean, I don't think he went. You know, the way it's set up doesn't seem like he would go out of his way to behave like that. Yeah, but for some reason, his dynamic with Nikki had him in that place behaving see, the same I way agree with that. and and some sort of weird i don't think that it was his dynamic with really? nikki because to me that's like people who are like oh i was drunk i didn't know what i was doing no to me alcohol reveals who's underneath alcohol just like takes away the inhibitions right. that's a whole other conversation right? and in right. this situation yeah, like it's yeah. a similar thing though because you're making it sound like oh it's because of his rivalry with nikki that he was a douchebag i don't think so I think that douchebaggery is inside of him. Oh, no, he was a douchebag. And no. it just being around right, Nikki he just had, kind but, of exposed that. Right, but was he honest with himself about his douchebaggery? Or, you know what I mean? Like, Nikki knows what he is. Mikey Does Nikki doesn't. know what he is? I don't see Nikki as being that self-aware. To, to some extent, yeah, he, he does. And in in has a very carefree way He's about a total it. total douchebag. What was with you know, the like, bus driver? Uh, yeah. Also, another point driver? to point out that Columbo, I'm just going to call him Columbo because he's Columbo in my mind, that um, <laughs> Peter Falk, we find out that he has douchebag tendencies when he goes to get the cream. 
And the dude, the, like the shop dude is like, yeah, we can't, you yes. know, we don't have milk and we only have cream. And you, like, I can't sell you cream because it's only to go with the coffee, which is a normal thing for restaurants. And instead of him just like going someplace else or just calmly being like, okay, well, I'm in a hurry. Can you do blah, blah, blah. He jumps the counter and threatens to kill the guy. And he's like, oh, I'm crazy. And I'm like, is this a New York thing? Like this, this would not, this is not an LA um, thing. People in LA would not do this. No. Yeah. It's an odd, it, in fairness, that is an odd yeah. scene. But and it's out I of nowhere. Because it's like, as, I get he's in a hurry, so, but really? Like, you're going to jump the counter and threaten the guy's life for some fucking cream? Well, there's a great, what's wonderful about that is when he rushes back to the hotel and trips. And that's still in the film. I, I, I love that. But, like, the, uh, it's weird because, again, right out of the gate, you're describing the very beginning of the movie. And what, right out of the gate, it lets you know how complicated their friendship is and how much underneath all of that resentment, how much he loves Nikki. And it's, it's such, and because they have experiences that predate everyone else in their life. Does he love Nikki though? Or you know is what he mean? just like, doing that to get him? Cause remember he's supposed to get him a certain place at a certain time so that Ned Beatty can kill him. Right. But so is exactly, it because he loves he's, him? He's going back and forth. The whole movie, he's going back and yep. forth on it. And then at the he? end, he sticks the whole to movie, letting him die. He doesn't open the door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spoilers. But yeah, they, he lets him die. He doesn't open yeah. the door. But by then, how many times had Nikki crossed him by then? Well, I mean, honestly, like from the jump, like Nikki's just, he's the most despicable human there is. He really is. He's absolutely. a total he really trash is. bag. And like he's a dumpster fire of a human. He's paranoid that he's going to get shot because he stole money from a mob boss. And then. Mikey is like, okay, then let's go. You should leave town. And he's like, no, I don't want to leave town. Um, if you think you're gonna get shot, then you need to leave town. And he's like freaking out. Well, they do leave the neighbor. They do leave the neighbor. They do leave oh, the neighborhood, yeah. and they do go somewhere the completely different. No. Yeah. I when when Columbo said leave town, he says get on a plane. That's the smart thing to do if you're afraid somebody is looking for you in your neighborhood and they're going to shoot you. Right. You fucking go to the other side of the country or another country. You don't go across town. Like, they're not going to cover that. Yeah, Come on. I mean. Like, this is a mob. Well, I don't know. There was a bunch of stops on that bus. So that was pretty far Here's another thing. And it was also like a little local. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? It, like, in that that mob outfit didn't look like it was like, you know, it wasn't. Wilson Fisk wasn't <laughs> running that operation, was he? It was like, you know, it was a little neighborhood. I would like to point out know, that you are the one who brought in Marvel, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah yeah um no but still like come on that's the smart thing but i brought i brought up i brought up where marvel peaked but that's another fight anywho still the the smart thing to do is to leave like if you're if you pissed off the mafia in some town in new york you don't go to the next door in new york you go out of new york you go to florida somewhere yeah. or not, to ohio where they would never think you'd go or, and exactly. don't want to be like you go there exactly yeah you go to like the suburbs of Pennsylvania if you need to still get like, you know, pizza that's halfway I decent. I mean, is it worth getting pizza that's halfway decent to, you know, possibly be shot on the way to get it? Yeah. I mean, why live oh, if you boy. can't have good You pizza? really are a New Yorker. Jeez. Well, I mean. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> See, I do think, I need to bring up how many Red Hot Chili Pepper songs that, suck? That's another thing. I, I think. California. Okay, so, Something, something. So um, I think that's the biggest, like, there's a there's a huge difference between you and I, especially how we see movies. And I think that this movie brought out all of those elements. 
<laughs> okay. Number one, yeah, it takes place yeah. in the seventies. I'm not a big fan of sixties and seventies films. Like until we get to the eighties, at least. I would like to point out that a lot of things you love are so influenced by seventies movies. It's not even crazy. Like it's crazy. Like that your your favorite movie by proxy is Three Days of the Condor. Whether you That's like it or not, not even true. Really? What's your favorite Marvel My movie? Favorite Marvel movie? And yeah, more than Winter Soldier. Yeah. Really? How high up is Winter Soldier? It's like Soldier? top three, top five. Because it's like Endgame, right. so Civil what War. What are your top three, top Avengers. five movies? Is essentially th- is essentially three okay, days but of the Condor. That's not my favorite like, movie ever. So, you just uh, said, but your I'm saying movie like ever. you. you oh, all right, I'll go fuck <laughs> myself. But what I'm saying is, you, you do love things that that borrow heavily from that heavy handedly. You know, but that's the thing though. Borrowing uh, from something, some would say steal. Borrowing from something doesn't equate to the same like using something as an influence doesn't mean that like perfect example star wars has like 95 different influences but everybody who likes star wars doesn't necessarily like samurai of course i know everybody who likes star wars doesn't necessarily like flash gordon that's what i mean like just because something is influenced by it doesn't mean you're gonna like that if you like the the thing that it has that took from that as the influence that's what i'm saying like I love right. the Matrix, and well, I'm anyone. not a big fan yeah. of anime. So, and it's heavily influenced. Yeah, by no, anime. I, I, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, anime is like a lot of tentacle oh, rape too. I mean, that oh, bothers I me. Who I was talking to, but anyway, my <laughs> my point is, this movie, like, it points out the major differences between you and I in what we like in film. Um, aside from the time in which it took place, there's also the fact that I feel like you like. You like movies, I don't know how to say it other than like, just like this. Whereas I look at this and I'm like, no, no. Like if I were, if I had time to watch anything else, it's like, hey, you can watch any movie. Do you want to watch this, a movie just like this? Or do you want to watch a movie like, you know, I don't know, name just about anything. And I'd be like, no, let's try something else. This isn't, this isn't my jam. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, and genuine, I know like, I know we're like sort of, there's something performative about this conversation to some extent because we were texting beforehand and we were being silly and stuff but i am genuinely sorry that you didn't well no it's okay but i'm just saying like to me i'm not upset about it because i realized the major differences like for example you when i look at this film i see immediately the despicable treatment of how the way he treated both black people and women and how it's just yeah he's a racist racist piece of shit and he's a sexist piece of shit and I'm like, there's nothing redeemable about this guy. Like, even he doesn't even treat his friend right. There's literally nothing redeemable. And I spent the entire runtime waiting for him to get shot. Yeah, yeah, and we all do. Like, I'm no, I'm absolutely with you on that point. What's fascinating, and what makes the movie fascinating, is Mikey's conflicted feelings. But that's not enough. And See, I would have Mikey's conflicted it- feelings. Mikey's conflicting feelings about himself. And his own illusions about okay, himself. and that if if Mikey had been the main character, and this had been like a character study on Mikey, Mikey versus Nikki, and then Nikki was just kind of a right. like Nikki was part of the plot, but he's not a main character. Then I probably would have liked it better. But it's that's not how this is structured. I, I understand. I understand your. I understand your side of it. Absolutely, I do. I mean, it's not. It's not for everyone. Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. I mean, it. I mean, you know, some of you listening who might be fans of the show, you know, maybe if there was a scene 
where they both realized their mother's name oh, no. was Martha. <laughs> you did not. Oh, my God. I was actually listening to you thinking you were going to say something. I believed you for a moment there. I'm I sorry. I was like, oh, what's he, he going to get into no, some deep I, analysis? I am sorry. No, you it's like just another Batman v Superman. <laughs> and the funny thing is you say this as if I liked Batman v Superman, which I didn't. No, I know so. you didn't. No, I know you didn't. I know you didn't. You're Marvel. No, all the it's way. not. I when it comes to Marvel DC, I don't care about comics. It's okay to be Com- Marvel. I mean, all both the way, of, both of the comics sucks. are fine. It's just when it comes to movies, DC is not. Not, has not been great at them, or even good. No, but no, because Jeff John should stop running that show. Oh, that's a whole other fight. That's a whole other fight. Not with you, but with. I'm just saying, like, I don't think that Warner Brothers necessarily cares about their characters. They're just trying to make money, and it shows. No. Suicide Squad 2 is coming to it's a not theater. Two. It's a reboot. Soon. Oh, is it? Well, it looks good because James Gunn's doing it, but that's a whole yeah. other conversation. It does look fun. I will say that. It looks violent. But, yeah, and also, like, kind of raw and fun. But I, I Mikey and Nikki, mm-hmm. I'm sorry you didn't like the picture. I, It's one of my favorite movies, and it is... What one of the greatest movies, I think, in the crowd. You know what one of my favorite of movies is? Philadelphia What's Story. That? That's one of my favorite movies. Try to think, <gasps> did I ever see that? Was, was How have you not Philadelphia seen Philadelphia Story? Story? I don't know. I'm stupid. I don't know. That's an actual classic. Catherine Hepburn, James well, who's Stewart, Cary Grant. Oh, I feel like I have seen it, but don't remember oh my it. That's even For a second, I kept thinking of the the Philadelphia movie with no, Tom Hanks. No, not Philadelphia. And eight. Philadelphia story. No, yeah. no. I think I believe I saw it. I saw a lot of Catherine Hepburn stuff. Stage Door. That was amazing. You remember that, but you can't remember on the, Golden the, Pond. You know why? Because on again, Golden Pond, you wait till she gets awesome. to the sixties, and then you're like, "Oh, I'll watch you now." <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, was it uh, on Golden Pond? Is the eighties right with Henry it was Fonda? The 70s. And Walter the Walter the, the grouperfish, <laughs> yeah, grouperfish, yeah. They get, like Henry Fonda takes his grandson out to find Walter, this you know this uh, fabled fish that oh, lives in their pond. You're right; it is and 81. For him. some reason, I thought that was 70s. It's just two years away. No, it's 80s. Not yeah. that far. It's t- kind yeah, it's, of the 70s it's still. Two years away yeah. from being 70s. Right, like New Wave is a thing, but it's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Basically, for me. If you're talking somebody like Catherine Hepburn, if it's not black and white, I probably don't want it. I'm. You want to hear some cool stuff about Mikey? And sure. All right. So Elaine May, when she made this movie, she comes off. She came off of um, her first movie is A New Leaf, which she sort of roped into doing. Well, she wrote it, but then she was roped into starring in it, uh, and then roped into directing it. She's only the fourth woman in history to be uh, in the Directors Guild, and. Um, she, uh, no, but you know what? She, you know, she did a new leaf. Big, you know, had a conflict with the studio about that. It's a whole other story. Made the heartbreak, uh, the heartbreak kid with James Groden, the original, and then Mikey and Nikki. Mikey and Nikki, the studio is thinking they're making a romp, right? Bec- and also, studio, the hierarchy of the studio had changed during the making of the film. So she's, um, she is now screening this incomplete film for a new head of the studio who sees her name on the film and thinks it's going to be a laugh riot and Peter Fox in it. So it's going to be maybe Columbo ish or like a spoof of any character. They were thinking they were, that they were green lighting midnight run, weren't they? Okay. Probably, probably. So they get Mikey and Nikki and they lose their shit 
And um, she, they were like, give us the film. So we'll, we'll finish editing and all this other stuff. And she took the film, broke it into pieces. And from what I understand, like, I know part of it was hidden in a garage in Colorado. And like, she split the film up in pieces and had to stand off with the studio. And she was like, release, release what I did. Or so is this what you're saying? Is this the original phone. Snyder cut? Uh, no, because the Snyder cut would mean that she made a five hour <laughs> piece of shit. And some other director took it. Oh, no. She made sure it couldn't become the Snyder Cut or a Joss Whedon Cut and was like, yeah. Like, she was like, come get your movie. And she, you know, and she won that standoff, which is cool as shit. But it's one of those movies. And again, I'll I'll just, I'll quote the Patton Oswalt commentary from the, you know, Criterion channel. Which is your which absolute is, favorite thing ever. Yeah, it's amazing that channel. Anyone who's it was sort of has the movie is sort of has that Velvet Underground thing where like if you watch it, like a movie isn't a mainstream film. It's not a movie a lot of people went to see, but people who did became directors. So it's sort of like the Velvet Underground analogy he made. And did I did you become I an, a director? No, but you know a lot of directors is it'll be like the first movie they talk about when they're not blatantly stealing from it, like certain directors and pretend that they just take their shit from Japanese. Like films. who, who blatantly stole from this movie? Who blatantly stole from this? Well, I don't know. Steal or influenced by, I think Quentin Tarantino is definitely influenced by this movie, and, but he's influenced by so many movies. Cause 70s cinema is this kind of his kind of his. Yeah. Jam, I, I so. think it would be hard to pin down stole, any one like, movie he was influenced by. Cause his movies, Taking oh oh really taking a Pelham one two three boom the original with Walter Matthau he blatantly took the Mister Green Mister Pink Mister blatantly took it right from taking a Pelham. No, one, what two, I'm three. saying is with and it, honestly, it's not just with Tarantino; it's with just about any really good director. There, what they do is they take all their prior influences and they put it together in a way that's uniquely them. So any really good director, most of the time, they're just an amalgam of other directors that came before them. That's almost like you can. It's almost every. I, I agree. No, you're no. I think you're right. But you know, there is some, you know, like that. You know, sort of more. And you know, it's it's a difference between influence and sampling, right? So like, there's definitely a difference between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, it's, I don't know. I don't want to get into. I don't want to get into a thing. I don't want to get, ha, go down the Quentin Tarantino street. I just don't. I, I mean, I enjoy a lot of his films. Some of his films are some of my favorites. I love. Um, I knew it. Glorious Bastards. Like, watch I think him say Glorious Bastards or Hateful Eight. I was waiting for you to I say think one it's of his those masterpiece. Two. It's just, and Glorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs is, is a fantastic movie. Again, you know, even he's he, but he he makes no bones about the things yeah. he nicks. Um. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown's the, probably the world champion of Quentin Tarantino movies, right? Why would that be so, the world champion of Quentin Tarantino movies? Did oh, you that say movie's that just because amazing. I'm black? That movie's and my name is Jackie, and I'm a woman. You oh, really were. You did do no. that, didn't you? No, Jackie. How often do I pander to you? Um, shortly after. Does you that sound like me? Yeah, Does that sound like me? Into a hole. No, not not like that. That's like ugh. no. Jackie Brown is the. Mo- I would say Jackie Brown is the most human movie he made. There's this amazing scene in Jackie Brown that, to me, has a lot of heart. It's the scene where, in the middle of the robbery, she looks in the mirror, and you know exactly what she's thinking. And it's and it, it's 
real slow and it's real quick. What, you mean in the dressing room? You know, I mean, it. yeah. And that, I'm like, you know what? That that scene, to me, I'm like, that shit had a soul. That's the scene you picked? Like, where a lot, a lot of his movies, yeah, out of Jackie Brown. That scene sticks out to me as being different from a lot of his other films. <laughs> My favorite so, line in that movie that's just is, me. he used to be beautiful, man. I quote that a lot. Pretty yeah. much anytime you hear me it's say something. It's a great something, movie. Uh, well, I mean, just like all the time, I quote movies. But anytime you hear me say something like that, know that it's a movie quote from something. Like, you used to be Beautiful Man. It's from Jackie Brown. Or when I say, where you at, Desmondo? It's from The Fugitive. Or Good Times Noodle Salad. It's from As Good As It Gets. I don't quote the main shit like Princess Bride. Anybody can do that. I quote the movies that everybody's seen, but nobody fucking remembers. Well, that's why I do this show, Jackie, because you're not here to fuck around, and neither am I. We're this, even when we disagree, we're still the Simon and Garfunkel of not fucking around. I would say we're more the Michael Jackson and Paul. Uh, well, fuck, what's his last name? Oh God! Oh, McCartney, I don't. Yeah. Paul McCartney. Well, because okay, because we just listed like the whitest of white bands. At least give us a mixed cover. Come on. Well, I went with, yeah, I see. I went with a collaborative duo who collaborate to the same ends, even though they disagreed. Right. Well, I went, Ugh, Michael J- I went with a mixture of people and a mixture of genres because that's what we are. We're a Ugh. mixture of people and genres. See? Yes, we are. Either, ba- yes. What I'm saying is we're both right, so- but you're just very, very right. Yes, and very, I think so. Weird. I agree. I agree that we're I, both. We're right. we are East Coast West Coast. We're very like you're extremely New York, and I'm just kind of California. Kind of yeah. California, yeah. You're kind of yeah. California, yeah. Because I don't really think yeah. like Calif- the Chili Peppers aren't going to write a song about Here you specifically, right? Like California doesn't really have. We have a vibe, but we don't have a very like. We're not that distinct, not that in your face like New York is. We're just kind of you know. It's kind of chill. I feel like the things that they have in common, I think there's sections of New York that are distinct and there's sections of California that have a vibe and have a distinction, right? Like you're not Beverly Hills I'm and you're not, not I'm honestly, right. I'm LA. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I've been, I've been to LA once. I got to say, I, I've been to LA once. I'll, I'll, I'll never go there again, but I've, n- I've only been there once and it was the strangest, one of the most strangest experiences of my life. Like I went to, a, you know, I did like the touristy experience, right? Because we were driving through Vegas. It was a long road trip thing. But like, like I went to one of these restaurants on like Hollywood and Vine or something. And like the waiter, I went asking him directions, like whipped his hair. Like he felt like at any moment could be an audition. And, he, and you could tell like his entire life was in that moment of like, he's going to remember me. Like it was the weirdest was weird but all la also just looked like blade runner to me it was just LA bizarre nothing it was just like bizarre. blade runner except for the fact that it actually takes place in la it, but but like the sky is yeah. not orange as long say, as there are no yeah. fires what so what you're saying is it's exactly like blade runner no not right now okay and, and right now the sky is not and a orange. lot of people ex- a lot of people who aren't jackie might be replicants <laughs> Okay, look, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of people who want to be something else. A lot of people from the industry or who want to be in the industry, I should say, are here. Right. That's true. Right. That's that's it's always been. Which just 
kill me. Like, yeah, I get, I totally get it. I totally yeah, get it. But that. authentic like, LA is like, it's in the streets in between. Yeah, we should please say something nice about Nike, Mikey and Nikki so we can wrap this up. Say something nice about it, and I'll say something disparaging about it. Okay, you go first because I'm going to have to think for a minute. Same. Okay, wait. <laughs> Yeah, another graveyard scene's pretty pitch perfect. Uh, the graveyard know. scene is pitch perfect. Nope. See, you wanted me yeah, to say something and nice. Most and of it was improvised. Up more negative stuff in my head. Okay, something nice. Something. No nice. graveyard. Most of that was actually improvised. It was amazing. The watch scene, I think. The was watch improvised. scene was also the watch scene. Just exemplified how shit of a person he was, and I wanted to punch him in the face. Also, their fight was terrible. Yeah, so you believed him. You believed him. No, well, that's. I mean, their fight was terrible because it wasn't a movie fight. That's what two adults fight. Two adults looks can't like. fight. Okay, because that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like you ever see like a real fight where adults are fighting, like like fucking older men are fighting. It's Par- crap. No, I haven't. But apparently, it's just crap. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me see. A good a good thing about this movie. Um. The uh, Columbo's wife was smart enough not to open the door. No, but he he told her to go in the other room. Like he was holding but the she door. She didn't shut. open it. Mikey All was the other the women shut. opened the door. Right. She's the one woman who stood her ground okay. against him and did not open the door. So that's a good right. thing, okay. I guess. All right. Um, he did die. He got. He well, finally he got can. murdered in the end. So that. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you think Ned Beatty was awesome in the movie? In the like four scenes that he was in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I mean, that was those were great scenes, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Okay, um, they really hyped up the mob boss. Okay, they, I won't say they really hyped him up, but by the time you see him, he's like nothing. Like, yeah, because because hey, guess what? That's what the mob really like, he was. He was just like a dweeb like, in a chair that was like he yeah. didn't even really know what he was doing. And like Columbo is like, no, no, you can't do that because then, you know, your dude would get caught. And he's like, well, what if I do it like this? And he's like, your dude would still fucking get caught. Like, how is that not? What are you not hearing about what I'm saying? What are you missing? He's like, I'm trying to speak simple English to you and you're not understanding the words that I'm using. Right. No, but he's just irrational and angry at Nikki and do- and wants him killed at- by any means necessary. So like, yeah, abs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was crap because that's that's kind of what they were. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're not all methodical, like, you know, the Godfather or Goodfellas or, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So thinking of something good about this movie. Uh, yeah. The best thing I can say is that uh, Nikki gets it in the end. Okay. You believed them. Did you see Columbo in that role? A couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Oh, maybe because he was wearing a, oh, because he was wearing like, no, a trench coat. No, not even then. It's the way he looks. Like, remember in Columbo, how he would kind of look at people sometimes? That little look. Yeah, no, I watch Columbo on YouTube often still to this okay, day. Okay, there yeah. were a couple of times uh, yeah, when yeah. he, there was one time when he looked at Nikki like that, and there was one time when he looked at, it was later on, I don't remember whether it was to his wife or to the um, the mob guy, but he gave that exact look, and I was like, that's Columbo. Um, hmm. All right, I'll, I'll go with that. But you believed them. You believed, John. did you see John Cassavetes or did you see Nikki? You hated Nikki. I have the text to prove how much you He's hated a Nikki. Bag. Yeah. That's how good his performance I didn't was. say the performances were bad. I never said that. Right. Well, I'm just saying. It's it, I trying to help you say something good about so the you're, film. So you're force feeding me. Saying you're good. saying, here, say this. <laughs> just praise the performances and right. we can move I'm, on. 
Hey, man, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> you're not asking questions. You're leading the witness. That's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, tomato. <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing. You're like, say something good. What about the performance? No, I mean, I, you believed him, right? No, you totally believed him. You totally believed him, right? I mean, it's not like I don't. It's not like I don't see your side of it, and especially coming don't from you. Like where I'm not. I'm not saying anything. No, I'm not going to say anything disparaging at all. I'm not. I'm saying I understand your movie taste. Even and I'm not just talking about the superhero stuff and the sci-fi stuff. I'm, I understand your movie taste. I understand why this didn't appeal to your sensibility. I understand that one thousand percent. And I um, can see your side of what you're saying, and but yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just hard to take. <laughs> well, it's nothing personal. It's not like Hurts. I'm aiming this critique at you personally. No, I, I you know, no, I'm, I think you are. I no, you are, yeah. if I, I think you're hateful, really? I think you're hateful. I think you're okay. You know, if I maybe. were hateful, Doug Sean, then I would have been like, no, you can never pick another movie again because you picked The Exorcist 3. Or I would be like, I didn't like this movie. You can never pick again. I didn't do either of those. I just went, okay, I no, get you it. Didn't do those you things. have a different no. taste than me. We just were just different. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it, it in fairness, in fairness, this movie's not for everyone. It really isn't. But I adore this movie. And I adore Elaine May. And we didn't and I'm proud of us for not and well, I'm actually you don't know anything about her. So I'm proud of myself for not going into a whole diatribe about Elaine May's work and her history and uh, and all that. But you should I if you're a lover of cinema comedy or theater at all and if you don't know who elaine may is you should learn and you it would it will reward you and pay you in you know what you just hit on another thing that i think is a difference between the two of us when i was watching this movie especially the scenes where he was at the girlfriend's house i straight thought that that was on a theater like i I thought i was watching theater i don't like theater that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, no, that makes but sense. But like this straight feels like a play. if you like don't like play. theater, yeah, that's going to, yeah. Like the only theater I honestly like is mm. Shakespeare, which makes me sound completely pretentious. But it's true. I don't, like aside from Shakespeare. No, it doesn't make you sound, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make you sound pretentious. Shakespeare stuff rules. But I'm, but what about, you didn't feel that way about Reservoir Dogs? Because I feel that could have been a great play. Because mm. it takes place essentially in one room. There's a couple of flashback scenes, but you you didn't need them in the movie. The whole movie could have taken place in that no, garage. No, because to me, the the shootout was so the shootout and the scenes inside the car could have done that with dialogue. Were yeah, but they you they didn't. That required being in a car. I mean, yeah, I guess it could have. I'm saying it in you could have definitely done a production. Yeah, you could have done that production on a stage. But it didn't. But that's another thing. Like, absolutely, it, just, it didn't feel like a play to me. It felt like a movie. Whereas this to me felt like a play, but it's, it could just be because of the structure of it, it is structured like a play. Yeah. Okay. Especially yeah. like I the dialogue. Like, I heavy, feel like Reservoir Dogs was structured like a almost play. everything yeah. is like takes place between almost everything is just happens between no more than three characters in a scene. And the scene changes right. so infrequently. Once you get someplace, we're there for a while. And then, like, even when they were driving around outside, right. it's still just two guys in a car and, like, any action, you we don't even see what's happening outside the car. Like, every time Ned Beatty is like, is that him? Right. We never get to see that person because it's just inside the car. So, to me, the whole thing was staged like a what play we- that they just put on the screen. 
Right. But you learn volumes about these two men in the course of what is supposed to, in what is supposed to be eight hours, but is two hours because back then they edited. But the dialogue t- gives you an entire rich history of these two men. Yeah, but and, see, and I mean volumes, not even just like one or two details, and it is a, a and how it bleeds into the present. The past, the future, like it's, I, I don't I know. The I don't reason know. why I'm not me, that like, I'm fascinated like, it's, it's is because remember what I'm into are like the 1940s movies where that's just par for the course. Right. Like every story does that. You don't start out with exposition dumps. Like I feel like today we're kind of used to exposition dumps in movies. Whereas before this, you just, the movies just kind of brought you into people's lives and you had to catch up with the characters. So I'm kind of. I don't think there's. I I I don't. I I have. I have to push back on this. I have to push back on this. I do not believe there is a scene in this movie that should be described as an exposition. No, I'm not saying that. I have to. I'm not saying that's what that was. What I'm saying is, I'm I'm saying modern movies have exposition dumps, and we're used to that. Absolutely. So then, when you go back to a movie from before the exposition dump came to where you just came into the journey. I feel like that's why you're like so stoked about it. Whereas my favorite movies are from the thirties and forties where they were all like that. They didn't have exposition dumps. You just came into the story and then you had to pick things up through the dialogue or through the scenes that were happening because exposition dumps didn't come up, didn't like even start till what? Eighties, nineties. Right. And from what I understand, I guess that new King Kong Godzilla movie, like a friend of mine told me, yeah, it's just, one big exposition dump after it, another. You know what? The King Kong thing, if you turn your brain off and you do, if you watch this movie ignoring the previous two movies, it's fine. It's perfectly fine because it does exactly what the first Godzilla movie didn't do, which was it actually shows Godzilla and he shows a close up and it shows him in the daytime and it shows a close up of King Kong in the daytime and it shows them fighting three times. So if you want monster V monster, like this is awesome. Oh, good. Because I just, yeah, I just want the girlfriend experience. Yeah. If uh, you let just get to the duking it out, just get to duking yeah. it out. I don't oh, want, it, it looks with, like there's, there's too many a, they humans fight in within it. like the first half hour. They've like the very first fight is like almost immediate. And you're like, wait, this movie just started. How are they fighting already? And then there's another fight later. And then there's, um, there's another, there are two more fights. And then there's a fight. that's not necessarily the two of them, which I mean, come on, we all knew that was gonna happen, but it's like the, the thing I don't like about it is they kind of frame it. Like Godzilla is the bad guy. And you just spent an entire Godzilla movie making it seem like Godzilla is the good guy. Or at least not necessarily the good guy, but like a neutral character. But like he's they, they introduced this lore in Godzilla that there are these titans, which are just giant monsters that live inside the earth. And right. every once in a while, one of them will come up and then another one will come up and defeat them because the one that comes up is going to take over the earth and therefore humans can't survive. So I'm already bored. Yeah. So another yeah, one. <laughs> So the so like Godzilla and Kong are our defenders basically, and then in the beginning of the movie they make it seem yes, that's like that's too much. That's too much story. That's from Godzilla. That's from the movie Godzilla, not from this movie. And this because this movie pretty much retcons that like right away. 
So, but then it, it like it retcons it, but then in the end, it's like no, but it was, and you're like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> like it's just, I just want to see some fighting. You know, it's a let me see some monsters fighting. And they're like, you know, it's a better movie. Go. I'm going to tell you what a better movie is as we wrap this up. What's a better movie? I think a better movie is King Kong has stolen from the mafia. <laughs> You're gonna do wow. <laughs> and then- oh boy. <laughs> Let me guess. Godzilla is his Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were together. Oh, like, they knew each other for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But what you don't know is that Godzilla has agreed to get Kong to a certain time, certain place at a certain time so he can be killed by the defenders of another planet, like Mothra or whatever. But he's conflicted the whole time. And in that in the course of that evening, you learn their entire history and how their history outwardly affects the other aspects of their lives. I think that's a better movie. Of course you do. Wow. Um, I would say Godzilla well, I, versus Kong well, anyway, is not got, bad. It's we better wrap this great. up. Why well, are you, you starting to get goofy? Is the medication wearing off? Well, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I, I'm genuinely sorry you didn't like the film. But I, you know, I, mean, to I be love fair, the film. I didn't hate I'm, I'm proud. I'm actually okay. Well, I'm proud of how we handled the subject matter on both sides. Okay. I'm proud that it didn't just turn into a goof fest or a snipe fest. I'm glad. And I'm also glad that we handled it better than every fucking podcast this month that's up Elaine May's ass. Thank you. <laughs> Cinematic Adventures World Champions. All right. You can find Doug Sean at The End is Nigh Show. Yes. The Black Sabbath of all podcasts. Uh, you want to tell people like how to get to you, Doug Sean? Uh, you could write to me at Doug and Rob Sucks at <laughs> gmail.com, or you can look us up on Apple, Spotify, all the str- all wherever you get your pod waxed or whatever. Just go, yeah, go there and look up The End is Nigh Show. We also have a new single out which you want to check out called the lawnmower of life. And it's awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, Doug, Sean. Are you going to come by and stream on a weekend? On a weekend? Yeah, I will at some point. But yeah, but I absolutely will. And I look forward to it because I had a blast the last one. Also, will Ace be there? So the answer is yes. I'm not enough. See, I knew it. I knew it. I kid. I kid because I love. It's true. I kid. It's true. You kid, but it's still true. I kid because that's my hugging. That's my hugging method. Yes. Just like the way Nikki hugged yes. the bus driver. Uh-huh. That's right. Exactly like that. Anywho. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Cinematic Adventures. If you like this episode, do us a favor. If you're listening through Apple, give us five-star rating or any other app. Drop us a like. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can hear new episodes when they come out. Thanks. Thanks.